clubhouse. Welcome back to a galaxy far, far away for the How Uncivilized podcast, where in this episode, Mark and I will be talking about episodes seven, eight, and nine of the first season of Disney Plus's Andor. Have you been, Mark? Hey, you doing well, Paul? Um, yeah, I mean, these, these episodes are done in blocks with a director for each block, and so why not? Um, and these have been a little bit slower paced, but at the same time, very political. Have you seen this stuff about the low viewership of Andor? But it seems like the people that are watching it are really enjoying it, but the metrics on people watching is pretty low. Yeah, I've seen that that initially it was it was high and then it's been getting lower. I mean, I've talked to other Star Wars fans and they've kind of admitted that without the the force and without lightsabers, there's something missing for them. And they kind of regard this as a more boring look at Star Wars. I disagree. It it is slower paced. It is a gradual unveiling of things. But I think we're getting storylines and arcs that will, just like in episode, say, six, build to a very dramatic release as, at some point. I'm enjoying it. I like it. And I think I think what they're trying to do, and I think that's a, a cool concept for the show, is exploring the nature of the Empire and their oppression and also the desperation of the rebels and what has to go into going against something so powerful as the Empire. And not just the oppression, but how, especially in these three episodes, how just a gradual tightening of the screw is something that Joe Average, you and me, were we citizens on Coruscant or a core world, we might not even notice as long as we're just going to work, doing our jobs, you know, going, doing stuff with our families. We might not even notice some of these things or they might impact us in ways that we don't even notice. Now, what I'd like to talk about is the characters and in the ways that <laughs> it does get noticed. So the overarching theme that I that I picked up for these three episodes was just how is it that Luthen's big plan, because he seems to be the one with the big plan right now, is is affecting everything by forcing the Empire into tightening its grip. He and Mon Mothma, when they were talking in his shop, it sounded like there was some disagreement on understanding how things were going to work. He knows, she doesn't know, and this is all going according to plan, as far as he's concerned. Yeah, it's kind of like Mon Mothma and Andor are not all in. They play that contrast with Vel, who we learn, you know, his cousin to Mon Mothma, and uh, she's pushing her like, hey, you know, we're doing something with our lives, we're, we're fighting the darkness, let's go all in. And then Luthen, like you said, he's 100% committed, but Andor is not quite there yet, so they're playing on that. And like you said, this slow oppression of the Empire, normal people may not notice too much, but it's like the boiling frog type thing. Like, if you think back, even like during the Clone Wars, this Colonel uh, Yloran, I yeah. think that's how you pronounce it. And, Larian, uh, right? and even uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. Tarkin, before he was the Grand Moff, they were a lot more muted and more chill and just, you know, military commander types. And and then by the end, you know, Tarkin's kind of uh, foaming at the mouth <laughs> with power. Uh, he's blowing you up know. planets, dude. <laughs> yeah, blowing up planets and just loving it. And just, just that just that slow uh, corruption of all the individuals that partake in it. And, you know, of course... This could all come back to Earth and you have like Nazi Germany and how, oh, why did those people all go along with that? But it's, yeah, yeah, it's just, that's part of the themes that this, this is exploring 
that I think is pretty cool, but maybe lost on some people, or maybe it's too boring for them because they want blasters and, and lasers and all that. And I mean, and, and you do feel it when there's a, a block of episodes like this, when there's not a lot of that. Um, so I, I get that criticism, um, but I'm kind of more in your camp. I, I enjoy the boring politics stuff. <laughs> <laughs> One area where they apply that boring politics stuff is right off the bat in the Imperial Security Bureau, the guys with the white uniforms. So far, we had only met Major uh, Pettigras as the boss, but now we know who he answers to. Colonel Wolf Ularen, who was first put on screen in A New Hope. He was sitting around the conference table with Vader, Tarkin, Admiral Mahdi, General Taggy, but he didn't say any lines. He's just as the one in the white uniform with the mustache and the gray hair. And then he reappeared in the Clone Wars cartoons, like you just mentioned. He was he was an admiral in the Navy, and he was a pretty honorable guy, from what I recall. Um, he wasn't a main character, but he was a speaking character. What do you remember about him? I just remember once, once uh, I, I don't know if it was Star Wars Theory or somebody pointed that out. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy from the Clone Wars and that he commanded a Jedi cruiser alongside Anakin. It's like, oh, I wonder if this is another character like Tarkin that knows his secret, that knows that Vader might be Anakin. He may or may not know that. Um, based well, that's on a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how well that figures into his rise, because uh, according to his lore, uh, once the Empire you know, became the Empire, he resigned from the Navy, joined, I don't know if it was the Army or the Security Bureau itself, but then he worked his way to Colonel within that organization, because Admiral translates to General, you know. <laughs> if you, I don't, I don't know that the switching services is, is such a thing, but that's what he did. It doesn't seem to matter with the rank, though. He admits that he has personal one-on-ones with Palpatine, which I think is probably a pretty rare thing. Back to this closing their fist situation and how Luthen is, is pushing their hand. This is, uh, you know, you always talk about politicians never like to let a crisis go to waste. <laughs> so you, you can imagine Palpatine just eating this up and they do this, this whole, they, they introduce this kind of this poured concept where it's like a Patriot Act type thing. Mm. No more Fourth Amendment. And then all of a sudden, 5X on taxes, 12X on jail sentences, just for speaking against the empire. That allows them to then produce more weapons of war while re-educating the people they put in there. And of course, we get the exciting jail sequence that we're, you know, the the jail universe that we'll talk about here, which is just really fun. But yeah, I was wondering if they might, because they talked a lot about Palpatine in some of these episodes and how, I don't know if we get to see one of his speeches, you know, where he takes on more power. Unlimited power? <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> He's like, limits? <laughs> He's striving for limit, no limitation. He, he definitely does. All right. So Yularen sets the tone for everybody else. We also get the sequence where Blevins overplays his hand and uh, Dedra, Deidre, whatever, <laughs> however you pronounce that in universe, steps right up. And whatever inkling that I might have had that she could ever be brought around to uh, the, the light side, I think I've given up on that. <laughs> yeah, no, she she played him like a fiddle and she took advantage of the data sharing provisions of the poured legis- legislation. Yes. And uh and, and you know was able to connect some more dots and uh he's like, "Yeah, you know, good job. Well, you know, well played, but watch your back now." That aspect of the ISB has been present 
all along in the books and comics and stuff like that, that they are rough on, you know, just civilians, but it also stems from they are completely a backbiting, self-sabotaging kind of organization where they would take each other down just to grasp onto their own power, like we saw with Dedra. So I think she is shaping up to be a pretty scary mini-boss coming up for, I don't even know who. I mean, we know she's on the prod for, for Andor, and this show is all about Andor. But in the meantime, I think she stands to, I don't know, we saw her take down Bix. We know that she can get Marva anytime she wants. They're just waiting outside her house, basically. Because they're not going to kill off Yularen or Pettigrass, probably. So she might even be bigger than a mini-boss for this for this show. She might be a big boss. I, lo- I loved how they mentioned this, that Palpatine is specifically empowering the ISB which you could say is kind of like one of these alphabet agencies without much accountability, kind of shadow government stuff. And right, it makes yeah. sense because, like, like I said, no boundaries. They don't have boundaries. They can, And they, there was dialogue about that, how they don't have, unlike the Army and the Navy in-universe, you know, they don't have these boundaries. And then she's the type of foot soldier who gets that and is exploiting that. A little bit of criticism. I did think that they nicknamed Luthen as Axis. And they're, yeah. they knew more than you would expect them to know at least than what's been covered on screen, I would say. So I was like, okay, maybe there was some off-screen stuff they know about Luthen that they didn't really share. But I was a little surprised at that. I don't know how you felt about that. If it was a little, a little much, you know, they they have so much intelligence on them. I, I guess that ups the tension in the show for sure. I think that's fair to point out, but maybe worth examining or unfortunately maybe building a little headcanon for, you know, like they would not create much tension, especially for these heroes, you know, we're like our movie heroes are almost like gods, you know, like superheroes. And I know Ando was in a movie. I understand that. But for the purpose of this show, they have to make him go through kind of a lot of ups and downs to make a whole show out of how he gets to the point where he gets he's worthy of being in a movie right so unlike in the movies where they paint like the stormtroopers and the various officers as kind of boobish you know like stormtroopers everybody knows can't seem to hit anything the the officers have have to uh, scramble around posturing but in the meantime they might get choked out by a kylo ren or a darth vader but i don't think you can have that kind of thing in this show. I think you have to have pretty competent leaders and foot soldiers, which is pretty much what we've seen. So that would create the adequate, the, the, maybe the insurmountable seeming tension for our guy, for Andor, for Mon Mothma, for Luthen. You know, I think you've got to have that competency. And then maybe you can assume safely that off screen, they do have minor functionaries, little spies, little operatives supplying them with some stream of information, even though we don't get to see them get it, just them telling us about it might just have to be enough for us to assume that they are well-staffed and capable. Yeah. And they're willing to do crazy things in the name of order in the empire. But then I also like about the, how this, this show, how it's not limited to the empire. You have, I thought it was pretty hardcore that Luthen was basically ordering the killing of Cassian Andor. You know, I wanted to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, like, that's hardcore. Well, and there was an episode where he recognized that Andor was a loose end, but we only ever heard Clea, his his backroom helper, actually issue the order that Vel needed to find and take down Andor. I was wondering, do you think that, that was like a Clea, and it's interesting that Clea's name rhymes with it, Leia, that Clea was overreaching 
because, you know, she had her issues with Luthen's kind of wavering leadership in moments where she was pretty like rock hard the whole time. Do you think that that was Clea just being like, the boss isn't going to say it, but I know it's right. And we've got to take Andor off the board because he knows too much. Yeah, I got the sense she kind of talked him into it, but he he went along with it. Just okay. calculate calculating that his that Andor's life is worth less than he and his connections getting outed by the Empire. That was that was my take on it. All it was, right. He I had mean, to admit, okay, yeah, we can't go down. Mon Mothma can't go down, so we'll, we can feed him Andor and still get by. Yeah. Not like he wants to do it, but yeah. Well, and behind the scenes, we know that the ISB is focusing an inordinate amount of importance on Andor. He is not as important <laughs> as they are making him. Yeah, exactly. I picked up on that, too. That he's definitely not as important. He, he wouldn't think he's in, that important. And also, I'm, I'm glad to know they don't have very good facial recognition technology or whatnot. In the story, because, I mean, he's in that prison, boom, when they get a hit. You'd think, I mean, that was a sand trooper of some kind that took him down. To expect that that would all be connected is not a reach. That should be automatic. What did you think of uh, Keefe on the living that beach life with the transporting scene, whatever, when he's like popping the pills and then you had the K2SO guy. I, I liked that artificial intelligence nightmare scenario thing where the guy told him to, uh, what do you say? He said, <laughs> hang, hang out, right. hang on to him. Yeah, exactly. And he was like, no, he meant watch me. But the AI is interpreted as, no, I'm going to hang you up. <laughs> I, I mean, enjoyed the second of comic relief there. When I was watching it the first time without knowing what comes in eight and nine, I was somewhat disturbed with kind of the r rapid left turn that the narrative took for Andor. Everything else had played out in just kind of long moments. You know, we took weeks to get to this this raid and everything, but then all of a sudden he's just arrested and, and thrown in jail. Now seeing how, you know, he had to become a victim of the P.O.R.D. sentencing in order for this thick-headed guy who... Um, it wasn't enough, you know, that he fought with the rebellion. It wasn't enough that his mom said, I'm fighting with the rebellion. He needs it to affect him personally, take away his time, his hours, days, and months of his own lifespan before he's going to get it. Yeah. And she tried to tell him there's nowhere you can run to get away from this, this growing threat. And, yeah. uh, you know, she's a, she was doing some pretty good acting. I was, it was, it was almost like her dialogue was, you, you know, come, you could tell it was straight from the writer's room and all that, but um, I guess you could say it was ironic that she was inspired by Aldani, not knowing that he right, was exactly. involved in this. So that was kind of kind of interesting. And he's like, it's no big deal, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit much when he's sitting there, you know, on the beach, popping pills. It was a little much. But like I said, that's that's, I guess, where he was at. He was like, I did my part and now I'm out. But right. you can't get out. That's the point. And they, they pull you back in. And now, ironically, in prison. He might be learning the the necessity of teamwork, if you will, as mm. he as he pairs up with Schmeagel to potentially escape, you know. I was very interested to see Andy Circus. If you don't know who Andy Circus is, he is he first got on uh, most nerds big board of celebrities by playing um Schmeagel and uh, Gollum on the Lord of the Rings trilogy as a motion capture artist and performer he did the voice as well as like all the face and body movements that they captured but then he went on and became 
like the motion capture guy. So like he, I'm pretty sure he did like King Kong with Peter Jackson and pretty much any major bipedal creature. I think he did, um, Caesar for the, for the planet of the apes. Oh, right. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. He's basically the ILM guy. And of course he was Snoke in the sequel trilogy. And so he's been plugged in with the star Wars crew for like, so it was really cool to see. He's a really good actor. Even in his, he was in the Marvel universe. Uh, he was, he was claw, the arms dealer who got his arm Mm. cut off in age of Ultron and was killed in black Panther. And he directed the second Venom movie. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know he was a director. Huh. Yeah. So this guy knows his shit in, in Hollywood. And uh, here he is getting a second unprecedented role in Star Wars. Has anyone ever done that? Gotten two roles? Uh, Surely. I mean... Well, actually, like, yes. Uh, you're right. Mark Hamill's always doing people's voices all the time, stuff like that. But Warwick Davis. Every time they need a little person. They have him as Ewok. They have him in uh, the uh, child-sized uh, Rodian in A Phantom Menace. Is it true that Willow takes place in the Star Wars universe? I don't know that. I mean, they both spring from George Lucas. Like, Lucas has actually written books in the Willow universe, or co-written books in the Willow universe. And there is more Willow to come on Disney+. Plus. I'm going to have to make a note of that, Mark. I'll have, to, <laughs> I'll have to check that out. I mean, it's a big universe, so why not? Why wouldn't that world exist? There's nothing about what we saw in the Willow movie that couldn't be in Star Wars. But man, Andy Serkis, yeah, his his intensity was was really good. And, he plays uh, Kino, the boss of yeah, the boss uh, Andor's floor and shift. Do you suppose that Kino, by the end of this, I mean, we meet him and he is all numbers, all business. Um, what do you suppose made him turn? Was it the misinformation about level two? Was it seeing the harsh treatment of Olaf? Was it the fact that no one's getting out of there despite their terms? What do you think? Yeah, I think it was pretty clear that at the end of, I guess it would have been episode uh, nine there, where uh, the medic was was revealed the truth and he he, he was a believable eyewitness that you, you can't get out. If you, you know, someone had gotten out of, I guess, two and they put him back in four and people got wind of it and they just killed everybody. You know, it's the Hotel California. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. Yeah, we, like you said, he goes to the Florida planet after he gets his money, gets a, an hourly girlfriend who is interested in some snacks. And uh, maybe, I don't know what those other things she was requesting were, but they might be drugs. Who knows? But the bulk of this block is him dealing with becoming a prisoner. I, th- I think there was a subtle reference that, that he, he was a bit high and kind of going through withdrawal and it's in the beginning of the prentice, uh, the, the prison sentence mm. and getting getting clean. I, I I picked up on that with his acting. It was it was very subtle, but I think that's what they might have been going for. But but it's yeah, totally what, did you, what did you think of the overall Squid Games in Star Wars with gamification? I just thought that was super interesting and cool. Um, oh wow! The way yeah. that was laid out, just the creativity that went into on program, all this crazy weird stuff that was just fun and just interesting. Haven't seen anything quite like that in a while. There's a movie that came out in the '80s, I think, where like they had a prison without any walls, but you had to wear this thing around your neck, and if you uh, got out of range of a certain other prisoner who had like your same frequency, then both of your head things blew up. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Or it rem- for some reason, it reminded me a lot of like uh, that Cube movie. Oh, yeah. Where, like you Cube. know, right. Yeah. You had to, you know, get out of this one square room and then you get into the next one. And it's like test and 
that's a cool little weird sub sci-fi genre that they brought out in this uh these really episodes, unexpected was... though you just i mean when you think jail and the vampire you i think you'd think pretty conventionally you know instead of this extra twist ex i mean several extra twists not only are you in like a work area but you have like electrified floors only a few prison guards you have like this this weapon that if they use it you have no defense except for touching something that doesn't conduct but the floors conduct and you don't have shoes so touch it and or being super perceptive they've established that he starts to notice and he's got some help on the inside that maybe it's not as electrified as they thought like that guy touched the metal and nothing happened and like it could be a little bit of smoke and mirrors as any prison really is because there's always more prisoners than there are guards <laughs> right so exactly. at the end of the day, yeah. So uh, we have a prison breakout, presumably to look forward to in episode oh, 10. I mean, it's got to be, right? It's underwater. It's surrounded by water. They don't really know what to look for, for transport or anything like that. No one else in the Andor universe seems to know where he is or has any reason to actually come and get him. But we obviously know that he's got to get out of this. I think it was this YouTube channel, New Rockstars. That guy is hilarious, by the way, if you've never seen that guy. But he, he covers these episodes in, in, in a hilarious way. But pointed out, I was like, oh, wow. There there were like seven of those seven-sided structures in the water. Mm -hmm. um, and the uniforms have seven marks on them. And there's seven tables. and Seven like guys a, per table. Seven right. guys per table. Yeah, just like, oh, that was cool. I don't know why they would have to be so Pyramid of Giza precise on this stuff. But it was right. cool. They're really into primes. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what that would be. Because seven doesn't really resonate with me Star Wars-wise. But I did notice, yeah, there were lots of sevens all throughout the whole thing. I mean, it's like an imbalance. Just another another way to keep people off balance is by keeping the numbers wacky like that. Well, key takeaway of these episodes was that sense with the prison and then you have the torture of Bix and, and all the mechanical uh, noises and just they did a good job of giving that sense of uncomfortableness or cla claustrophobia that comes with prison and just the oppression. Um, they probably could have gone further with that even, but that was key takeaway on these episodes for me. Talking about Dr. Gorst um, and his torture device, I mean, that wasn't in prison, but that was an extension of the Empire's new powers and their willingness to, to use them. I mean, if Dr. Gorst wasn't just like a cut and paste, what was the Nazi doctor? Mangled, Mangala? Mangala, right, Mangala? exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. If, if that wasn't that guy just transplanted to the Star Wars universe, because the way that he could just casually wave high, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's like, this creepy, is Dr. Yeah. Gorst, and he like, he like smiles and waves, but meanwhile, he's going to torture your brains out of your nose. Yeah, and maybe one of those torture is approved because of this board legislation type of thing exactly, they were playing yes. on. It's like a new thing, new thing coming. Uh, and of course we, and uh, you know, they had the same type of uh, prison surveillance gear that you see in the Death Star and shot by shot, it looked very much like Leia. Um, oh, prison yeah. Cell. So yeah, they were playing on those, the long history of torture in the Star Wars universe. You notice that, right? How like uh, when she starts the torture, the camera comes out of the room, looks down and then follows feet leaving the room, just like they did for Leia. That was almost I think like it's a, cool when they do stuff like that, that's yeah. so detailed. Just a subtle callback. Subtle callback, but it, it makes it feel more Star Wars-ish. Yeah, yeah. What do you suppose we have for Andor here? We have Kino is now kind of on board with figuring out 
how this prison works, or at least letting Andor figure out how the prison works. Olaf, dead. So Andor's table is down a guy. That's not great for their productivity. Um, how soon do you suppose we get a coordinated jailbreak? Do you suppose that's the season ender? Yeah, I think Bix dogged on Andor for being a lone wolf, uh, maybe Marva, whatnot. And so I, I think that's the whole point of this is he's he's learning the necessity of teamwork here. And I think that's that's how they're going to do it. I think they're going to recruit more prisoners to take part and uh, overwhelm the guards. Kind of like the first six led up to Aldani. The next six will lead up to the Narkina prison break. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, let's see. Well, how many episodes do we have? Just, oh, wait, 10, 11, 12, three more. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Okay, that's so right. one more block of episodes. Yeah, wow, it's clipping by. Another area where we can look at Imperial overreach is, because I'm borrowing her words exactly, is Mon Mothma. In these three episodes, she's learning that the rebellion isn't exactly what she signed up for, but neither is the Empire. What, what I need is, Paul, is another dinner party. Can I get more dinner parties, please? <laughs> Could you imagine? Well, I think maybe the way that you're you're saying that it accurately expresses how she must feel about it. You know, like it's the opposite of the kind of action that she wishes she could take part in. They're nothing. They're not doing what she needs to do. They are, in one case, providing a small amount of smokescreen so that she can talk to Tay. Which, by the way, are we supposed to believe that that gray-haired man and Mon Mothma were like the same age and going to school together in Chandrilla. Is that what oh, we're supposed to be told? Because they said call. we were school friends together and all that. He looks well, maybe a lot plastic older. surgery is super good in the start. And she, you know, who knows? All right. And hair dye is a thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or not. Maybe it's not. And that's the deal. She stayed red. He went gray. But overall, we got to see just frustration all around with Mon Mothma. She. Like in this last, most recent episode, she is making some sort of testimony in front of the Senate, and no one cares. There's a little bit of support being yelled her way, but there's kind of an equal amount of like, shut up, sit down kind of stuff. And eventually she gets overridden by bigger headlines. Do you think that the difficulty she's having accessing her money is tied up in the new imperial restrictions, or was that something else? Um, they're making a big deal out of forcing her to have to find a new way to get money, maybe from a Chandrillan gangster. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, as the empire is tightening their grip, they're pushing their way into people's business more and more, especially those that, are, that speak against the empire, like she openly does in a subtle way. But of course, she had the great line that, uh, you know, she's learned from Palpatine. I guess you got to become a little bit like him to be able to defeat him. Uh, where, you, you know, you think you're just throwing rocks, but really I've got a knife to your throat. Mainly what I got from Mon Mothma in, these, in this block was just how she's having to reconcile what her aims are, what her goals are, and her own ethics. I think she wanted to kind of procedurally get the Empire back to some resemblance of democracy. However, she kind of hedged her bet by getting into bed with, figuratively, with Luthen. And now that's gotten out of control. So it's like she still wants that end goal. She still wants democracy and and freedom for people. But how far is she willing to go? Yeah, and Vel calls her out for not being kind of committed enough in a way. Um, that was so surprising her, to me, yeah. Yeah, was it? Yeah. Well, just that Vel and she, 
they both knew that they were in the rebellion. They knew that they were the rebellion, but Mon Mothma had no idea that, that Vel was tied up in Luthen's operations. Yeah. Didn't tell, didn't tell her that, did, uh, did she? No. I, I like the way that they developed Vel, though. They dropped a little bit. Like in that sixth episode, Cinta says something along the lines of that she's a spoiled rich girl trying to get back at her parents. And, or was it the seventh one? Yeah, it was the sixth one where she shows up on Coruscant dressed like a human. I didn't even recognize her at first. I was like, what? Oh, I was like, okay. Right. Me she neither. cleans up. Yeah. They were, they were giving us a little hint all along the way that she was actually society, <laughs> you know, on, on Coruscant, but that she would be Mon Mothma's cousin. That, that was a surprise. Okay. So the, the lingering thread that we're left with Mon is this mention of Davos Keldon. I mentioned a second ago, the way that I mentioned that she would have to go to a Chandrillan gangster for money, I'm just kind of assuming that, given all the stuff that, kind of the distaste that she had for needing to go to this guy and the way that she described his businesses and his business practices. It also helps kind of underline the reconciliation I, that I mentioned of her ethics and her goals. Do you know anything about Davos? Have you heard anything about this guy before? I do not. I just kind of assumed it's, it's a job of the hut type character. And it's, it is uh, strikes of desperation because you can't trust someone like this. They could out you to the empire for money. So it does sound pretty tenuous. I, I can see why she's uncomfortable with it. Exactly. You might, like you said, with the Palpatine quote, if you start dealing with gangsters, then then just like you did with Palpatine for the government, you might need to figure out how to out-gangster the gangster. I don't think she's prepared for that at this point. All right, uh, kind of mopping up our characters from this block, there was a lot of uh, Cyril Karn. And I think what that added up to for me was, I think this guy is playing into becoming a pawn for Dedra. Yeah, I think she's thinking about using him somehow. But uh, he, he really let his, uh, he just, he went there. He shot his shot. <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> his character's been a little surprising. I thought he would be like uh, Arch Nemesis and he's kind of just turned, in. <laughs> it's just been a weird kind of story, but he's going for it. But yeah, I think you're right. She'll figure out a way to use him somehow. That's all I got out of that was just that he's making himself too easy to manipulate for her. And it, the way that she was willing to use that scream helmet on Bix and Pack, I, I think she'll have no squeamishness about using him the way that she came up with the idea when they mentioned that they had a, a, a rebel pilot, she had the idea like, well, why don't we just put his dead body in the ship and set it adrift? He wasn't dead yet, <laughs> you know? So she was, she was openly saying, why don't we just kill him, make it look like an accident and set his ship adrift. So nobody gets suspicious that now we know what he told us, you know? Yeah. I think that type of, thing is deception is par for the course of the empire but I, didn't they land on like staging the death of the captain not the not the pilot it was just like him different it, it was, was just, just him yeah okay. it was just him in the ship that they captured because they, they 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 came on to some sort of rebel operation and they wanted to continue right so they need the operation to go on but if the person that they captured didn't show up or showed up and told them i was just captured then that operation wouldn't go on so they want it to go on so that they can swoop in and capture everybody that's there or kill everybody that's there. So that kind of thing tells me that Dedra is going to be super willing to just dangle Cyril Karn out there for Andor at some point. Not that he would be some great lure for Andor, but still, there's something there that she can use 
And apparently he, he likes her just even beyond <laughs> professionalism. More than, more than friends, if you will. Yeah. And it, we did get to see a little bit of Luthen throughout these, these episodes. Specifically, I want to talk about his approach to the Empire or taking down the Empire and what his endgame might look like. Because, like, we saw him go talk to Saw Gerrera, which was pretty cool. You saw him trying to manipulate him to get a better deal from Saw and and we got to see I just I just really wanted to see that crazy drool drool face from Saw Gerrera and I did not disappoint. He mentioned working with this Anto Krieger, which was the person that was brought up later that the rebel pilot situation we just mentioned, that they think that the, he might be connected with that person who is another anti Empire leader, but with some ideological differences from Saw Gerrera. Luthen is trying to glue all these anti-Empire groups together, regardless of their ideologies. He's like, if everybody hates the Empire, does it really matter what your reasons are as long as we all want the same basic goal? Can't we all work together? And yeah, so, and I think Saw labeled this new guy a neo-Republican or something like that. Something like that. The But he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't acquiesce. But uh, what does that say to you in terms of Luthen's goals like Mon Mothma didn't know that he was running the Aldani operation now Saw Gerrera is more or less a terrorist you know in some of the ways that he is known to to run his operations this Anto Krieger might be also something like a terrorist but he wants to band them all together under the rebellion flag is this telling you anything about what he wants for a post-imperial world yeah, it reminds me, I guess, when Vel was uh, taking over the base, the, the garrison, they are like, oh, you're just going to kill us anyway. And she was like, no, we don't do that. That's the difference between us. So I think you have those types, the more morally uh, straightforward, clean groups. And then you have like the Saw Gerrera types who, and even Luthen, I think, is falls into that camp of the ends uh, justify the means. Hmm. And, and that's where Luthen has that in common with Saw Gerrera, but he's... He's good at manipulation and he's not afraid to use it. And he's even trying to manipulate Saw to, because to your point, he he's focused on the end goal of, you know, you buy that he, he wants to knock down the empire a few pegs um, and he'll do anything. It doesn't matter if he's got to kill Andor or whatever it is. He's going to stay focused on that goal. All right. So do you have any big bad predictions for the final three? I don't know. It's possible that Andor kind of steps into Luthen's shoes and Luthen gets killed off. I could see that happening by the end. We're going to get this new rebel contingent coming in and uh, this plot with this rebel pilot playing out. And of course, the prison break. So that's what I'm expecting and uh, looking forward to. What about you? I think those are all worthy predictions. I think Mon Mothma is going to have to confront this ideology that she's not comfortable with and either accept it or turn it to match what she's willing to live with. But I think she has some hard decisions coming up that may include changing the situation with her family. Um, we mentioned that at some point she has to leave the Senate just for her own safety. I don't know if that's going to be this season or next, but her conflict with the way that Luthen operates, and we know that she's the one that survives to Return of the Jedi, might come into like an actual someone needs to take out Luthen kind of moment. Will that be this season? I kind of doubt it, but you never know. Yeah, it could be something big happens here in the next three episodes that by beginning of season two, 
like I said, Mon Mothma has bailed from Coruscant, and uh, we have the beginnings of the Imperial, the the, uh, the Rebel fleet, you know, doing yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, we will do our best to record something for episode 10 <laughs> this coming week and uh, look forward to talking about Star Wars again in the near future. If people wanted to reach out to you, Mark, on social media, how would they find you? Jiggy Nut on the Twitter. And I am Paul V. Daly on Twitter. And uh, also you can find me at Pod Clubhouse on Twitter and the Internet. So if you like this podcast, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that other people can enjoy it also. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.